in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom, delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Um, I'm cold, but optimistic. Cold. Florida cold. Let's, <laughs> let's, put, a, let's put an asterisk beside that. <laughs> Well, it is it is 38 degrees here in Orlando, which I'm, I'm a little further. You know, I'm up north now. I'm up north. Oh, okay, way north, way north, <laughs> man. I'm, I'm in the I'm in the mountains north. <laughs> would that be considered the uh, the uh, far north? That it would be of northern northern aggression if they came that far south uh, to to Miami. Is that how that works? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Well, Sean, it's been a it's been a week since we talked last, and. And the markets have uh, have done some a, f- a few things, and if you kind of watch, I'm starting to see some resistance levels that we're starting to bang up against, and it looks like that that 420 to 425 range on on the corn um, marketplaces where it looks like that resistant level is is in right now. You start looking at what's going on with ethanol and the price of fuel, and the way that's starting to look, there's getting to be um, you and I, as we've talked about here a million times, and anyone that follows the marketplace knows this, but cheap gas is bad for ethanol. So as we look at those, um, right now I think in Scotts Bluff, it's usually one of the more expensive places to get fuel in my in my immediate area, but we're like $2 gas right now. So um, I guess as you look at those resistance levels and what you see happen with ethanol, what's the chance of corn jumping up past that and making a run here towards the end of the year? Well, we said I think we said this in last week's report, but uh, your last uh, week's podcast. But it's going to have to be South American weather really right. uh, getting to the critical point. I don't see us breaking out either soybeans or wheat. You know, the six dollar level on wheat or on KC wheat, or the twelve dollar level on soybeans, or you know that four thirty four. I don't see us being able to get over that hump right now unless we really get into, uh, you know moment of truth, that irreversible point where you say damage has been done and it really can't be reversed now. And we're not really going to get there, Casey, until late December. And right now there are some rains falling. I mean, they're not, I wouldn't say they're drought busters, but it's enough rain to say things are stable for now. Why worry? And we're at the end of the year. Speculators like to liquidate oftentimes uh, into year end. And so it's just a period of pause. We think it's a period of pause and we think, you know, we could have some corrections that, um, could get ahead of steam here as we move into the end of the year and, and could offer some, you know, buying opportunities for livestock producers to get some extended coverage on feed. Um, you know, there could be an opportunity there that we're looking for. So, yeah, that, that was the next thing I was going to bring up was the, uh, the, the growing conditions in South America. As you take a look at what's going on right now, they do had, they did have some um, uh, rain in the forecast, had some scheduled in there. And by all estimates and everyone that, that hadn't mentioned anything about it was, even if it did rain, as much as they said it was supposed to, it's it's nowhere near enough to get things perked back up the way they were going. Um, Monday, there's a pretty decent sell-off 
uh, of course that might have been the end of the month taking some profit and also but some of that that rain might have been baked into that a little bit too um the situation there is not getting any better it's it's every day is getting worse than it was the day before and it's just uh, continuing to struggle remember casey december and january is there are two rainiest months of the year so, so yeah. it, it normally rains massively this time of the year right so even if they get you know I mean, they're going to get an uptick in rainfall in December. I mean, they're going to. Right. But if it's half of normal, it's not good enough because that's right. when they need the big rain. So you got to yep. keep this in perspective. But but for now, at least the market will say, well, let, let's see what happens. It's raining right. a little bit. Maybe it'll get better. We'll we'll give it to the end of the month to see how it goes. Yep. You know. So with the situation we see there, and assuming that they don't get what they have, how important is this January report coming up? Um, with with the time the USD has had to go back and take a look at, at crops and, and, and harvest data and those kind of things, um, the January report should be kind of fairly, um, I don't know what sport I'm looking for, should be fairly um, up-to-date and ready to go by then based on the harvest data from, from the various FSA offices. Yeah, in drought years, I mean, they usually, by January, they get it right. Mm-hmm. They get it right. Um, and so that number will be a number that will have, whatever they say, you know, that's the number we're going to be dealing with old crop stocks for the, for 2021, pretty much, mm-hmm. pretty much. So, um, you know, I don't believe the yields are low enough on corn. You, as you know, we've been saying for a long right. time, the low 170s. I don't believe they're high enough on demand, at least. I think corn's too low. They might be right on soybeans, but I think corn's too low. So, you know, it, we should get tightening stocks um, in the January report. However, they come to that. <laughs> right. They increase demand, or they lower the yield, or they change the acres of one final time. I don't know, but I do believe we're going to get tighter stocks. And if we're getting into an, uh, a South American weather market while we're telling everybody that be really tight, you know, that could set off the next wave higher uh, in, in a kind of a first quarter rally in grain markets. And so, so, so we would really focus on like you know, late December early January as a focal point for a potential uh, corrective low and, and a turning point. That's, that's kind of what's in our head right now about how we see the pathway taking place here, you know? Right on. And that's, that's kind of what <clears throat> most people are, are lining up to do that now. I mean, it was, it's amazing how far that's come off from the private estimates of FC stone of 184 down to maybe knocking on the door 172 to 174 so it's a big swing big swing in the in the yield data in the year but everyone just wants to they're rushing out to get their get their name in the paper first you know um when, when, when soybean stocks are this low casey mm-hmm. no one knows for sure what it is the u.s doesn't really know exactly what it is nobody right. knows for sure mm-hmm. but when you're at 180 175 the margin of error, error is 25 million bushels one way or the other 150 million bushels is bare minimum pipeline level. So for all intents and purposes, we really can't get any tighter. Right. We just can't get any tighter. So the question is, can South America produce a crop where we can get offline for a while and they can pick up the slack and everybody, and, and the world's okay and China's getting what they need or mm-hmm. not? That's why weather is so important here because if they can't deliver on that and we don't have any more to sell, then you have a, you have a big problem on your hands, Case. You have a demand rationing situation where you have to go up to a level that people say you know what i just i can't pay that i'm not yeah. going to pay that it doesn't work for me anymore i'm, I'm going to liquidate some animals because i'm just not going to feed bean meal anymore you know right. whatever it is i mean or i'm not milking any more cows because you know 
$500 beer mill is too high for me, whatever, whatever the situation is, you know? So we're right on the cusp of that. We're right on the cusp of that. We haven't had, we haven't had that happen since 10, 11, 12. The last La Nina we had at a trough of the 11 year cycle. Um, and of course now this is a grand solar. So we would expect this to be more uh, impactful than, than even that one was. And of course those three years, as you know, created $8 corn, $18 yeah. soybeans and $12 wheat. Um, we think this weather situation is likely to be much worse. And more used equipment than we knew what to do with. So, that, <laughs> that was, for sure. <laughs> everyone was buying new. So, <laughs> yeah, they were. Everyone was flush with cash. Oh, my God. Know. Were they ever? Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, all right. So, speaking of weather, you put out a report here uh, last week, right before, right after Thanksgiving, and talking about uh, some of the climate change stuff that you've been paying attention to and stuff that we've been talking to on, on the podcast. And, um, Oddly enough, about the same time you put that that out, so they must be listening to you, Sean. The uh, the Chinese put out a report that they're going to open up more strategic reserves and start stockpiling more uh, more grains of uh, soybeans and rice and wheat and everything else. So um, you must be must be paying close attention to what you're saying, Sean. So they have that they have that out there. But talk a little bit about the report you put out and how how what you see happening with with these different cosmic alignments and those kind of things and, and how that all will work together with what we see with this La Nina event. Well, as you know, Casey, we talked about in your program a lot, you know, that we're a, uh, we've researched heavily the idea of how our climate on Earth has always been modulated by the natural weather cycles of the sun-solar cycle and the planetary cycles and how those magnetic, electric, gabarimetric, and uh, rotational forces interact with each other to change our atmospheric airflow change our ocean currents, change our sea surface temperatures, and, and ultimately change our climate. So that's why our climate is always changing. It is never constant. There's never been a time in history where we've had a steady climate. It's always either you know warming or cooling or escalating drought or escalating flooding. There's always something going on that's changing because plants are always rotating. The sun cycle is always changing. These forces are always interacting differently. What we tried to highlight uh, in our podcast this past week to subscribers is um, every 60 years, there's this important, what we call conjunction. This just means two plants get really close to each other. And of course, the two biggest plants in the solar system are Jupiter and Saturn, which means they have the biggest forces. They have the biggest impact on uh, interacting with the sun, interacting with the earth. And um, so we, on December 21, Saturn and Jupiter are going to be as close to the, as they've been really since night, uh, since um, 16, uh, the 1600 year was the last time they were actually this close okay they have conjunctions but they're really really close this time so the forces so just think of taking a magnet right opposite poles and putting them together and the closer you get the more the forces are interacting right. that's yep. just think of it that way right okay so um there's a 60-year cycle in what's called the amo or the atlantic meridional uh oscillation or the temperatures of the atlantic ocean which is greatly if sea surface temperatures are falling Global temperatures are falling. If sea surface temperatures are rising, global temperatures are rising. Sea surface temperatures lead ambient global air temperature. Um, and there's a 60-year cycle of when those sea surface temperatures peak. The, you know, they peak every 60 years. Um, and it's based upon um, the orbit. I want to get too, too out there, but, but Jupiter has an orbit, um, just like every 
planet is in orbit. And just like we were just saying, nothing is constant. An orbit can be more circular at times, or it could be more elliptical at times, depending upon its interaction with other planets and the sun. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that every 60 years, once this conjunction takes place and we move away conjunction, the elliptical uh, pattern of Saturn gets more circular. And as it gets more circular, it actually inhibits solar activity hitting the Earth's atmosphere, and it actually changes the currents in the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean and causes sea surface temperatures to start to cool. So uh, the last time that this happened was 1960. And if you look at the AMO, for example, that and, and we, we had a chart on our podcast to show this very clearly, you know, that the sea surface temperatures plummeted into the late 1970s when we peaked in our peaked in our cooling scare back then. And, you know, we, you know, back, back then, everyone was worried about the deep freeze because it got so cold. Uh, the winters were so long. The, you know, growing cycle in the U.S. was only 140 growing days. It's 185 now. So, you, you know, right. we gained 45 days since then. Um, and so what I'm going to getting at is that this should begin a very hard down phase in the AMO. Um, and with that, the, sea, the air temperatures should start to fall. The PDO has already turned into negative territory, which is the sea surface temperatures of the Pacific Ocean in its entirety. We've already moved into negative territory. When those two sea surface temperatures are in synchronicity in the cold phase, it's really a hard down phase for global temperature. The big difference this time from 1960 or even 1900, when we had the, the la that, that was a conjunction before that, when we had the big, big dive in the sea surface temperatures and cold temperatures into the 1920s, those were not grand solar cycle minimums. Okay. This is the grand solar cycle minimum. So, so just if you look at how cold things got between 1900 and the 1920s and the 1960s and the 1970s under kind of a, a normal operating sun, and now we're in what's a, an extended period of lower solar, which accentuates the cold. You know, we feel this is going to be much more aggressive cooling period that we think will trough or reach a crescendo to the downside somewhere in the mid to late 2030s before it bottoms out. And then we start the process of gradually, you know, begrudgingly warming ourselves up little by little as we move into the 2050s. So that's kind of what we see. And, and so we think that what well, we always try to tell people, Casey, and, and you know this, we tell people to look for signs. You know, don't trust Sean, you know, verbatim, you know, listen to him, but, but verify, follow him. The signpost is watch the North Atlantic sea surface temperature. We show this in the podcast. It's already been plummeting here in the last, just the last 30 days, oddly enough. And we've broken an uptrend line in that sea surface temperature chart going back to 1990. So, so that is that the North Atlantic sea surface temperature leads the AMO down. So that would indicate that we are on track, that that's heading down just as the AMO is expected to start to turn down in the first half of 2021. So the next thing we're looking for is to watch the AMO in the first half. If it starts to really falter and break its trend line, then Sean's AMO 60 year sea surface temperature, global cooling, solar cycle, orbital forcing, uh, Research is starting to verify yet again, and then we need to brace ourselves for a wild increase in weather volatility. And of course, you know we've been forecasting a, a crazy winter uh -huh. for the fall of 21 into the spring of 22, and that would dovetail into why we are expecting that and, and why that is likely to take place if the sea surface temperatures really start to plummet. It would feed into that 
negative feedback loop. So. Yep. So Florida could get colder is what you're saying. It is. I mean, for, we are going to have frost. Uh, the citrus belt in Florida is going to start to have frost again. We really haven't had a frost here of any concert since 1986, just as an example. Right. Um, so, but yeah, we would expect Florida, maybe not where I am at. I think I might just make it where I'm at. Just, I'm just skirt by. Just huh? 34 degrees. You know, I might just make it. But, but, but a little further north, you know, the, where the citrus belt is, I yeah. don't see them being able to get away with it. So, so we're going to have a lot more frost down in Florida. And conversely, a lot of people ask questions about South America. And, you know, we always follow the coffee market a lot. And, and we used to have a lot of frost. We used to frost regularly in the 1970s, in the 1980s. And we haven't had a frost, in, uh, a legitimate frost in, in uh, Brazil coffee areas since 1994. Uh, we expect frost to be a much more regular feature again down there. And, uh, you know, and because it hasn't happened in so long, and people have assumed it's never going to happen again, you know, the coffee market is another market that ha may have a massive readjustment if it has to factor in more regular frost along the way and a much more difficult time for Brazil to grow coffee. You know, these are the kind of things that we try to think about the long-term impacts to particular markets if we're correct about this longer winter season in both hemispheres and, and you know, uh, early frost, late frost kind of scenarios to you know, which markets could be most impacted. So, Cool. Well, if you need some cold weather gear ideas. Let me know, and I can help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, you know, and like I said, I'm, I'm not a, here to, you know, it's not a stock market program, at least the way we talk about it. But, right. you know, just to think out loud, you know, uh, what would you need in a very, very long, endless winter with heavy snows and bomb genesis storms and all these sort of things coming up? You need a lot. What do you need? You need a lot of salt. Yeah. You need a lot of yeah. salt. Compass Minerals is the number one pr producer. They have salt mines and the number one producer of salt. And so you can only imagine what might happen if, you know, we have salt for normal winter that we've been, ex that we've known forever. And then we go into winter like this where we run out of salt and everyone's bidding up for salt. I mean, you could see a, a, a wild parabolic rise in salt prices, which obviously would greatly benefit a salt miner uh, like uh, Compass Minerals. So not a recommendation. You know, everyone's got to look at, you know, do their own research, of course, understand their risks. Mm -hmm. But an interesting idea of how we think about how one could participate in this, that might be one way that, that maybe not everyone would be thinking about, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about. So anyway, that's just yep. an interesting idea that maybe it's further food for thought for your for people listening on the show. Could so. be. Could be also natural gas and down jackets are going to be a big a big thing as Anything well. Anything like boots. Boots are going to be you yep. know, in high demand. High so. demand. Especially in Florida because you don't have boots. You have <laughs> flip-flops. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to want to know how to put them on. <laughs> how do we put these what on? What are laces? What are these for? So, what are they for? We, you know, we, we have moccasins down here. Strings going through my shoes. What is this? <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, good stuff, Sean. This is this is good. If this is a that podcast I listen to it, it's amazing. Got a ton of information in there. If folks wanted to reach out to you and get more information about what's going on, Sean, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, the best way is to go on our website at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. If anyone wanted to watch that podcast, because it is a pretty interesting one, you know, we'd be glad to send it to them. You know, they can email us directly, Casey at okay. Sean. S-H-A-W-N at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, -T, advisors.com. And just, just say in the subject matter, moving iron, 
uh, you know, weather fork, uh, weather podcast, and we'll and we'll we'll get it out to them. We'll be we'll be glad to do that. We'll awesome, do that. That's great, Sean. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. With that, I am Casey Seymour, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest post concerning the uh, Moving Iron podcast. Also, movingironllc.com for all the latest information about what's going on uh, with Moving Iron and uh, Moving Iron Summit. And uh, probably going to have to, uh, I'm going to make an announcement now. We're going we're gonna to move the Moving Iron Summit um, from January to probably September sometime, um, sometime this fall. The reason for that is um, travel restrictions have, have limited the number of people that are going to be able to make it to that, and I think it's important. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an event that's uh, as much networking as it is anything else, and, and uh, with, the, with the numbers that were there, we're going to postpone that and move it to a later date, and uh, hopefully with uh, everything that's coming down the line here with vaccines and stuff with COVID, we can, stuff will settle down a little bit and we can, we can get back to normal here a little, um, sooner than later, I hope. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard.